Welcome to 20% Time, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Titan, a web consultancy based out of Chicago, but truly entirely remote. Uh, we've got employees scattered across North America. Uh, I'm your host, Dave Hicking, and this week I'm joined by Matt Stauffer, the partner and technical director for Titan, which is a title of yours that I always mess up every single time, so I'm glad I looked it up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Matt, there are uh, undoubtedly any number of folks who are listening to this who know who you are, but for people who don't know, uh, when people ask you, hey, Matt, I've just met you for the first time, what do you do? What do you tell them? Uh, most of the time, I don't actually tell them the truth. <laughs> I usually say, <laughs> I, I make websites. You know, I'll yeah, say yeah, stuff yeah. like, oh, I'm a programmer because I think walking up to someone and saying, I I run a company, that blah, 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 you know, it's just, it's a weird thing. So if it's in a context where it's more normal to be yeah. fully transparent, I say, you know, I, I'm the one of two people who run a company. Um, so my business partner, Dan, handles more of the business side, and the operation side, and I handle a little bit more about the technical side. So I'm kind of responsible for our technical outreach, our technical direction, uh, most of the technical hiring at the highest level of the company. And of course, Dan and I also share a lot of responsibilities with business development and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm kind of in charge of the technical side of our company, basically. And so the reason why we have you on today, aside from, you know, being an all around awesome guy to talk to is <laughs> thanks. We, we, <laughs> we were, we were looking for uh, interesting things for everybody at Titan to hopefully come on the show and talk about. And one thing that is really fresh in, in my mind, and it's probably very fresh in your mind is the idea of hiring. Um, we've recently gone through this process. And so I've got some questions I'd love to ask you about it. So yeah, uh, Titan recently as advertised for an open developer position. What was the driving force behind this? Were you replacing somebody who left? Were you pursuing growth as a part of some plan? Was it an emergency situation? How, how did you get there? Yeah. So the most recent one was somebody left. And so we wanted to replace that person. And it's an interesting kind of factor, which I wouldn't have thought of before, because that defines a little bit of mm. um, like how we factor in like the, the specific details of the job we're hiring for it, but this, this particular moment. So I think we have a lot more flexibility if we're in a context where we're saying something like, you know, we need to grow because we want to help the team be a little bit fuller or more robust in some certain way. Well, then you have a lot of variety to figure out what it looks like to solve that problem or, or, or meet that need. Whereas with this, we said, we have someone who did a certain thing and fit into our kind of like, what projects are they on and that kind of stuff in a particular way. And we want to replace that. And so uh, it, I wouldn't have thought before this process that it mattered that much, but it turns out it does. So yeah, this most recent one was, um, was replacing somebody who had left. It, so there have probably been situations in the past, or actually let me ask you, have there been situations in the past where it was um, maybe not replacing someone who left, but either emergency hiring or pursuing growth? Is it fair to say that you have done either at least one of those two? Um. Do you say emergency hiring? Yeah. So in other words, like, oh my goodness, we just got yeah. this huge client and I need to grow this company super fast. Most most of the hiring we've done has been in response to the growth of the um, work that's coming our way. Yeah. And we've just gotten to a point where we say, you know what, we're just so consistently overbooked. We need to have more people around or raise our rates. And so we'll, you know, we'll do both of those. Um, we One of the things we love about Titan is that we created Titan to be like a, the type of company we want to work for. And so it turns out that the growth for us in some ways is making that same opportunity available to more people. So when we can do that without making, you know, negative impact on the rest of the company, then we'll we'll try to do that. And so hiring more people does give us that opportunity. The problem is it also introduces costs. We're super, super, super careful with our growth. Um, we know that especially when you hit certain inflection points and we're right at the edge of one of those right now because we're at 20. Um, 
but just in general, the more people you have, the more overhead there is, the more responsibility you have for biz dev, the more opportunities there are to, you know, make bad biz dev decisions because you're worried about bringing the money. So, so the, the, the long answer is we have hired in response to, um, to growth of incoming work. We have seldom or never hired for emergencies because one of the things we really don't want to do as a company is make decisions in response to short-term pressures when those decisions might not be the best long-term decisions. And sometimes that's hiring because you have the emergency. And so we'll try to reach for contractors or, you know, try to push a project out a couple months or be creative in other ways. Um, but sometimes it's also, oh man, we have so much work. We just should hire in general because, you know, you always want to grow when you might be in the middle of a seasonal, you know, influx of work or something like that. Um, so in terms of the emergency, I think that's the thing. In terms of growth, We've certainly hired for growth, um, and often the growth we're trying to do in that moment, when we're just sitting back and saying, you know what, we want to expand a little bit, that's when we get to be a little bit more creative. That's usually when we brought on apprentices, for example, is when we say, how can we hire you know, in this moment where everything's going fine in a way where we're able to accomplish some of our other goals in terms of providing opportunities for folks in the community who might not have those opportunities elsewhere or you know, whatever else it ends up being. So yeah, so hiring for growth for us has happened, but that the growth is maybe different than you might think it in a normal company. You you talked about how the size of the company where it's at right now is close to an inflection point. Um, did you, are you were, were as you started as you sort of started on this hiring process, even though you know you were hiring to replace somebody, were you sort of worried at all about okay, this is you know, one more person to supervise. Maybe, maybe you you had gotten used to one fewer one on one to do with folks. Were you concerned about that at all, or were you were you still thinking, you know, the infrastructure is in place at Titan. This is totally fine. Um, I think that we always ask ourselves those questions every time we think about hiring, no matter what. Um, this one was easier because it was a replacement. Um, but like if if it weren't for trying to be wise about growth and slow growth, um, there are so many wonderful people and lots of work. Um, coming in mm. where we could just keep growing and growing, growing, growing. Um, but that wouldn't be wise for a lot of reasons. But I would say that like broadly, um, if we were not tethered by trying to be wise around those factors I mentioned, we would just, we would hire so much faster than we do. Um, and so we do always try to be very careful and very cautious about the impact of growing the team any bigger. Um, but like you said, this one's a lot easier because it was, it was replacing somebody else. And so we knew we already had those patterns in place. And and yeah, we had a, a short break. Um, but one of the things we've done recently within the last couple of years is uh, do some hires that are non-technical hires or putting people in positions different so that my um, my availability is a lot higher in part so that I can keep up with the um, the current workload from um, supervising the number of people we have right now. So I think we're in a pretty good state for the number of people have right, we have right now. And so uh, replacing in this same space was, wasn't a difficult decision. Titan started as just you and Dan, um, and you've been chipping away at growing this team for the last, is it like seven, eight years, something like that? I always, yeah, I always I get a little fuzzy on the precise date. Yeah. We'll say, we'll yeah. say eight or nine years Ish. almost. <laughs> is there one particular lesson that sticks out that you've learned? If you think back to like various hiring processes, sort of something that you wish you would have known back when you first started growing the team? Oh man, there's probably a lot of them. Um, let me think. Um, one that I think we knew in the back of our minds, but didn't know perfectly was that, um, you can teach people to code. Um, and that's not universally true. Some people have more trouble learning it. Some people learn at different paces and stuff like that, but it's a lot harder to teach people, um, you know, their personality 
traits and skills and uh, resilience and stuff like that. So one of the things we, um, you know what, uh, let me step that one back. <clears throat> one of the things that I've learned recently is that all hires are not the same. And I don't mean all people are not the same, although I do mean that as well. Uh, if we were to only hire based on one aspect of our interest, we would end up with a whole bunch of introverts who sit and write amazing code and only code all day long. If we were to hire in other aspects of our preference, we would have only outgoing extroverts who are on Twitter and giving conference talks all day long, um, you know, but might, you know, not do the same, you know, amount of head down or not, not be interested in the same type of project or something like that. And there's lots of other different um, aspects of people's personalities and of their ca capacities and the things they're good and bad at that would make various people good, but in different ways. and we had to recognize and learn that, first of all, you got to figure out which things you do and don't want. But second of all, you're probably never going to get a, a situation where every single person fully encompasses all the various aspects. So rather, you might hire some people who are better at doing one aspect of it. And for us, that might be, you know, sitting on a, a queue, queue job where you're working on the same thing for the, the, the two years. And then some of the people who are, are interested in a different aspect, the new and shiny and always the newest, most exciting stuff, stuff like that. And of course, there's tons of overlap. But I think just recognizing that a healthy hiring process recognizes those differences in people and also is aware going into it when you have a little bit of a bias towards one direction or the other, both based on your company, but also based on who's already at your company. You know, you always want to be rounding out the team and everything like that. And so I don't think we understood that at the beginning. Um, yeah. No, that's great. So going along with that a little bit. So, you know, when, when folks sit down, if you're on the, if you're on the hiring side of the equation, when you sit down to write a, write a job application, you know, you could Google any number of guides on how to do it or what to write or what not to write. But for you, as you think about, again, sort of thinking back to the beginning a little bit, what has changed, if anything, about the way that you write a job description for a developer who works at Titan? Well, I think one of the things that has changed is that it's gotten a lot harder to write the job descriptions, um, in part because we get a lot more applicants than we used to, and in part because a lot of the things that we could pretty easily filter for in the early days are no longer useful to filter for. And so that's true both for the hiring process in terms of the type of questions we're asking, but even in the job application or the job description, the things that you're listing off that people need to know, you know, five years ago in the Laravel world are now things that everybody knows today. Mm. And so there's it just from a baseline technical ability, um, there's a much broader swath of people doing it. And the level of excellence across that swath of people is much higher, which is great, but it has made an impact on the way we write those. But in terms of things, in terms of what we focus on, I think we've really recognized more and more about what I was saying earlier, that what things can you teach people and what things can't you teach people? And we've been trying to learn how to hire for the things that you can't teach people. Um, and so, you know, some of the easiest way to describe those, and this is very rudimentary, is, is things like being a self-starter and a self-learner and a self-manager. Um, you know, we are remote um, but we are also very collaborative. And so there's an element of like, how do you work with people, not just how do you write your own code or, um, and you know, we, like I said, like we're always working with new technologies that nobody knows. Also, we can teach you the technologies that we know. So how well do you learn? How well are you open about the things you don't know? And so we've learned more and more about those factors because the traditional hiring process just says, what do you know? And so for us, we've learned more and more about what are the factors that are more important than what you know and how do we hire for those things? Yeah, in a sense, it's it's switching from. I think it's. I think what you're saying is it's you're 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 moving from hiring for what you've done to hiring to for for hiring for what you can be. 
Yeah, I think that is good. And I mean, there is an element of what you've done and that that's, that goes back to the question you asked before, like because we're hiring to replace someone, we had more of a pressure in this particular job to have somebody who can show up on day one mm. capable of doing all the things that the previous person could do, right? But that's not always the case in every hire. And and the thing that is more important broadly is exactly what you said. We're hiring more about what we think the next couple of years are going to look like for you. Because over several years at working at Titan, everybody will have exposure to the full technology stack we're doing and some of the, the smartest people doing it. So the question is not just what do you know on day one, but uh, what are you capable of learning in response to the, the folks that you're around? And also, what are you capable of innovating and figuring out and everything that on your own as well? There's a section of this of our most recent job description that I actually want to dive into a bit deeper, which sounds like it might be it's too inside baseball, but hopefully this works for you. It's a section of the job description about diversity. And I know the the work that went into the statement, um, but if you're applying for this job, you may not know the work that goes in the statement. So I'm going to read it real quick, and then I've got a question for you. Um, okay. So the statement says, we strive to assemble and maintain the highest quality, most effective team of people we can. We know that the best teams have a broad variety of perspectives and that new perspectives come from a diversity of backgrounds and experiences. These goals and beliefs lead us to actively seek a team that includes people from groups who have been traditionally underrepresented in the tech industry and in our company. If I'm an applicant, I might see any number of companies who talk about diversity, right? This is, Titan's not the first company to have a statement about diversity in a job description or on a website or something like that. Right. Can you talk a bit about what diversity means to you and Titan and why you felt it was important to have this in the job description? Yeah, there's a few pieces. Um, I'll start at the most concrete and practical and then kind of move up from there. Um, concretely and practically, um, there is uh, the, a team with... the. Uh, I'll, uh, those are almost exactly my words, so I'm going to say them again. <laughs> a team with a diverse group of backgrounds, experiences, and everything is a better team than a homogenous team, just broadly. Uh, and that's not some ideological thing. That's very functional and practical. The more viewpoints you bring, the more you're able to think of things from different angles and stuff like that. And I don't just mean ethnic, racial, socio, you know, socioeconomic or whatever. It also means like, uh, you know, the, the, the one person on the team who used to work at a Drupal shop brings something. The one person who used to work on, you know, .NET things brings something else. The other person who used to do CodeIgniter brings something else. You know, the person with a CS degree brings something different. You know, the person with a history degree brings something different. The person who's built 20 SASs brings something else different. All these different experiences that we've had, people who've lived overseas, people who speak other languages, people with, um, you know, disabilities, all these different things are all factors that allow us to br bring a more robust set of <clears throat> ideas and experiences and perspectives um, to the table and this is true for everybody but especially at titan we're focusing not just on you know like you tell us what to do and we do it we don't want to just be butts and seats we want to be um solution architects is probably too heady but uh, we want to be solving problems and then also implementing the solutions but we're most interested in solving problems and you're better able to solve problems when you have a variety of viewpoints and everything available to you and, and while everybody might not be on every project uh, we have a lot of kind of shared knowledge um, and opportunities for shared knowledge in our communication style. So there's a lot of space for a team to be better purely just based on its diversity across multiple factors. So that's like the most concrete, simplest aspect of it. So stepping back some, we're also in a place where we recognize that we are going to be inclined as a company to be biased towards um, people who are more like the, the owners, because that, again, regardless of what the the 
gender or anything, ethnicity of the, the owners are, any company is going to be naturally biased towards being composed of people like the people who own it because that's how hiring happens. You're more naturally comfortable with people that are more like you and you're more likely to have people like you in your networks. And hiring happens primarily out of networks unless people are intentionally not doing that. So no matter who you are, what your ethnicity, color, or gender, orientation, or anything else is, you are, without being thoughtful about it, most likely to assemble a team of people a lot like you. So Dan and I are cognizant of that, and we're interested in assembling a diverse team and overcoming that natural bias. So we have to be intentional and thoughtful about that. Stepping back a little bit further, we are in a tech industry that is notoriously biased towards a particular group of people. And so we will have to do intentional work if we are interested in hiring a more diverse team across multiple things. But the thing is, hiring a diverse team of people who do and do not have computer science degrees is not very difficult. There's tons of people with and without computer science degrees in our industry. We don't have to intentionally look for that. There's tons of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds across our industry. We don't really have to intentionally look for that. But there are certain demographic changes that are not well represented across our industry. And so those are the ones where we're going to have to be intentional or we'll be just yet another company saying, well, we were able to easily achieve diversity across these factors. But in these particular factors, we put the job listing and they didn't just apply. That's not how it works. So if you're in a place where you recognize that there's a few elements of diversity that are not well represented in the pool of candidates that you're you're looking at, there's a couple things you could do. One of them is do intentional work to try and make sure that you are putting your job application in the spaces where the folks who you want to see it are. Another thing is you can be doing developing ongoing relationships with folks in those spaces to make sure that by the time um, it comes up there, you know, they're aware of you. You can be making a company that is safe and welcoming and, and, and friendly for folks from those spaces. And one thing we're also trying to do that's a totally separate conversation is try to be a part of your community and making it such a space where that demographic, you know, um, diversity that your your those demographics are more diverse in the candidate pool. Um, so I feel like there's probably a million other aspects <laughs> of it. But basically, the world is better. The tech industry is better. Um, our company is better when people are equally re represented or equitably equitably represented, um, and so we there's it takes work to do that. It takes thoughtfulness to do that. It's that intentionality that really matters, right? I mean, I've worked at places before where, in order to you know make uh, the hiring process more equitable or to attract what they would term, and I'm using air quotes, which nobody can see, a, a more diverse <laughs> pool of candidates. It was something that was like grafted on to an existing process, right? It was yeah, yeah. go through your existing process. Oh, by the way, and here are some job boards that you should also post on just to cover our bases. But yep. you're describing sort of an intentionality. Like if you're going to, uh, if you're truly going to care about diversity, you start with that as your foundation. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people who have objections to um, diversity in hiring or, you know, like in, I, I grew up around the University of Michigan and it was like the biggest or maybe the only state school that was doing, um, what's the thing called? Why can't I remember the name now? Affirmative action? Affirmative action. So University of Michigan was being sued for its affirmative action practices when I was applying for college, right? So that was something that was super present in my brain. And when people have concerns with those things, usually the concerns are not necessarily because of the idea, but they're because of bolted on fake uh, or maybe not fake, but bolted on practices that are for a nod or they're for an appearance or they're because of a pressure, not because the system's any different. And so interestingly, a lot of people who would look at, you know, a lot of diversity hiring practices and disagree with it, um, it they might assume that I think that they're, you know, wrong or something. And, and frequently I say, no, I, I agree with you. That's not the way to do it. Right. However, 
if we think through it logically and we think about the opportunities we think that everyone should have and we think about you know what the situation should look like, we end up tending to be in the same place. The big difference is whether or not we've had the experience of noticing how much work it actually takes to be intentional to make the change that should happen. And that's what that's where it comes down to. No, it actually is a lot of work and it is 100% work worth doing. When when someone applies for a job at a company, it often can kind of feel like you're just sort of like launching your application over some wall and you have no idea what's going on back there. There are any number of online articles telling people how to apply for jobs. What do you wish people knew about applying for jobs, whether it's at Titan or elsewhere? Uh, is there Are there any sort of things that every time you could look at applications, you're like, I wish people actually knew X, Y, or Z? Lots of them. Um, <laughs> I, don't have the, I don't have them all top of mind right now, but the, the simplest one that comes to mind when you say that is to imagine as best as you can the situation of the person who's going to be reviewing it. And um, so the problem is not everyone has ever been a hiring supervisor, but use your best empathetic powers to imagine, like, so for example, in Titan's context, we'll put up a job posting and we'll have 400 or 500 applicants. So how do we get 500 down to a number that we can even reasonably like look over, let alone actually talk to? Um, so just to give a little bit of a description of what our process looks like, and then I can kind of from there peel out some valuable things. Dave, uh, the person <laughs> conducting this interview, um, reads through them and takes several factors to try and get them to the point uh, where we can so weed out people who are outside of the time zones that we work in. Just basically look for like the really easy, not wins, but the easy uh, things that make it clear that it's not going to fit. And then there's lots of things where it's just kind of like, man, if it's if it's full of typing problems and and spelling errors and you forgot to submit the things we asked you for or whatever, there's just kind of like if you don't have that much attention to detail with something that is a big enough deal of changing jobs, you certainly won't have it in doing our day-to-day -day work. So um, just know that every single thing that you do give, is an opportunity for you to show your um, your thoughtfulness and your consideration and your attention to detail, or an option for you to show that you don't have those things. Um, so once it gets to us, what we're trying to do is from a single piece of paper or maybe two pieces of paper, um, try to understand this person and see why they either set themselves apart negatively or set themselves apart positively. So think about things that would make somebody look at your resume and go, nope, and then try to consider those things. So what some of the classic examples people have used are like gaps in work history, and that's true. But if somebody looks great everywhere else other than the gap in work history, we're going to get to a call with them and just ask them about the gap in work history or whatever else. That's not actually that big of an issue. However, if we look at it and go, well, this person doesn't actually work in our tech stack, well, they're not even going to make it to the point of the phone call. What's the point if somebody literally, if we do Laravel on, you know, basically all of our projects in some way, shape or form, and you don't work with Laravel, then I'm not going to be having a phone call with you. So there's not even really any point for me to have a phone call with you. Now, occasionally we would have somebody who didn't have Laravel experience, but in their cover letter, they would very quickly go to explain why they don't, but why they think they can still make it work. And frequently I would say, well, I'm not sure, but hey, I'll at least have a call with them. So imagine what the things are that would make me throw your resume away and then try to address all those things. And then secondarily, once we've thrown those away, we still have probably way more than we can have a phone call with. And then it's what things set you apart. What I want to know off the top of the bat are, are you a good and kind and decent human being? And are you going to be ready to do the things I want you to do? Um, so think about things that make it clear to someone um, that you are capable of doing what they're asking you to do. So for example, if you're applying for a job as a Laravel programmer, what can you do to make it clear to me that you know how to write Laravel apps? Well, as much as I hate the idea that, you know, people who with, with excessive free time and open source work is, you know, super privileged, it is an extremely effective tool 
for me to know what you're capable of doing. And I've often told folks who are saying, you know what, I'd love to do that, but I don't have time to do open source work. I'm like, okay, so we're talking about getting a new job, huge shift in your life. Can you carve out 16 hours sometime in the next couple of months to sit down, make a new Laravel app from scratch, build something awesome, put it up on GitHub? Because if you do that, 16 hours over the next two months, if you don't have time for that, then yes, you are in a very tight situation. But if you can imagine like an hour a night for 16 days out of the next 60 days, okay, you can probably make that work. Um, so it's not as if I'm saying you must like spend two hours in open source every night, but like give me something to work with. So if you apply to that job and you've got that one project and say, hey, you know what? My day job doesn't let me write Laravel, but I spent 16 hours over the last two months building this app and it's like a fake version of Instagram and come take a look at it and all that kind of stuff. I go, okay, great. I can understand how your brain works. I can understand how you you approach these particular challenges. I can even see things like your code style, which I don't care about that much, but I still like learn things about those things. So it's just imagine my situation and make it hard for me to throw you out, throw your resume out and make it easy for me to understand that you're a good person and that you are going to have the capacity to do the job that I want you to do. Okay. <laughs> that's a lot there. Yeah, um, I got way more opinions, but I'll stop there. No, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's why we're having this conversation. Um, you talked about the process of going through all of, you know, that, that we took here at Titan. Uh, I, mean, I, let's, I mean, let's just be honest. You and I spent a ton of time going through a lot of these resumes and then other folks at Titan, like Dan, that you mentioned before and other folks, um, helped and read through. And there's a lot of eyeballs that go on a lot of these, on a lot of these uh, applications. And as a part of this process for this most recent position, um, you and Dan realized that there was a lot of potential talent out there that maybe might not be quite ready for day-to-day -day client projects at Titan. Mm -hmm. So you started a parallel process as if hiring doesn't take enough time, right? <laughs> a parallel process of looking for an apprentice to hire. Um, can you talk a bit more about what an apprentice means at Titan and why you wanted to do that? Yeah. Um, so we've had apprentices before. We used to call them junior developers. We call them apprentice programmers now. Um, interestingly, really, our first couple hires were essentially apprentices um, mm. because we were in a place where not a lot of people knew Laravel and we were doing CodeIgniter and Laravel and Craft and Expression Engine. And so like knowing, getting in and responsive web design, which was brand new at that point. Um, like, I don't even know if the book was out yet. It must have probably just come out. So, you, you know, hiring for that. Plus, we didn't have a lot of money. It was just Dan and me just kind of making it work. And so what we did was we hired people who we had some kind of connection to. And I just trained them by pairing with them all day, you know, or maybe not pairing with them. But like, like I was the primary programmer. I was the only programmer. So our first couple of hires were all essentially apprentices. One of them had, you know, just switched careers. One of them had just graduated from school. One of them I had done a little bit of work with on my SaaS, but was, you know, wasn't up to speed at what we we're doing. But I had been kind of like teaching him a little bit as he worked on my SaaS with me. So I taught him more. So the, our history as a company has this built in. However, we then got to the point where most of our hires after that were people who could do the job on day one. And, um, you know, and some, well, actually the majority of the people that we hired right after we switched that are people whose names you recognize, you know, still today, like Adam Wathen and Keith Damiani and Samantha Geitz and stuff like that. And the uh, Caleb and, um, and Daniel from uh, No Plans to Emerge and stuff like that. Like, so we, we kind of went from everybody we hire is going to be an apprentice to everyone we're going to hire is a mid. Um, and then at that point, we kind of made some shifts and we said, okay, we can actually, now that we have this kind of stable workforce, we can go back and consider hiring apprentices. But it was a little bit more thoughtful then. Like, what does it look like to develop an apprentice program where, you know, these folks are for a certain amount of time 
you know, learning and growing these ways. And we started to kind of figure it out. And we did, we've done that, I think, twice um, since then. And those folks both ended up going on to work for Titan as mid-level developers. This time around, it's been a while and it's been at least six months and maybe more. Um, so I said, uh, first of all, we have this, this uh, incredible amount of very talented and wonderful people who are not ready to do the work we need on day one. And second of all, I said, you know, it's been a while, you know, and we've learned a lot since then. You know, every time we do one of these apprentice things, we learn a better, th- better way to support them and better way to put constraints around the thing. So I said, let's step back and just say, what is apprenticeship? So really long prelude done to say, what is apprenticeship? Right now, apprenticeship for us is the idea that somebody's going to come in for a 16, 6 to 18 month period, during which time we do not expect them to be delivering Laravel slash Vue slash React slash whatever work at the pace of the rest of the company. They're still learning, but they are in a space where we believe that within six to 18 months, they will be able to do so. So it can't be somebody, you know, who has no programming experience whatsoever. Uh, This is somebody who we think will benefit from regular pair programming and being around a really kind of encouraging and teaching community like we have, who has something to contribute, even if it is not immediate Laravel knowledge, who we think has this potential to grow, um, who has the other non-knowledge factors already, you know, self-managing, self-teaching, all that kind of stuff, um, and who really just needs a good and healthy space to help them grow. And so um, we... We make that happen and they show up and they're going to be doing a combination of internal work, um, you know, for our total projects, open source work, lots and lots and lots of pair programming, sometimes just going out and watching videos and taking tutorials and stuff like that online. And then also um, lower cost work for our uh, customers. And so basically some one of the common patterns that we'll do is that they'll work half time, basically meaning we bill you for two days and they work four days or something like that. And, and the people who are hiring as apprentices are worth way more than that. You know, like the in in four days of work, they do more than two days of you know Titan level work. But we figure, hey, the, the you know the the client's taking a little bit of a chance on it, so why don't we give them a bonus um, of getting more than their money's worth? Meanwhile, we have the opportunity to put this programmer who's not necessarily up to Titan speed on paid projects, doing real paid work with clients, and so it's kind of like we're doing a little bit of a trade there. And in that, they're working together with one of our lead programmers who's really kind of mentoring them and guiding them as they go. And so we're just trying to get a mixture of practical, you know, on the job client experience, collaboration with really talented and and kind and empathetic developers who want to mentor them and help them grow and putting them in a healthy space where they can ask those questions. Nobody's expecting them to know everything, but we're also pushing and challenging them to grow and giving them that support system to try and enable them to grow quickly. I was going to ask, so hearing you describe that, it sounds, I mean, like you are really devoting quite a bit of organizational energy towards leveling up these apprentices. And I was going to ask, do you feel like the size of Titan now makes that easier to accomplish? But, you know, you had described it as you had been doing that essentially from day one when you've been hiring people with Titan. Yeah, it was easiest at the beginning because I got to do all the um, the mentoring. Um, and then it got really hard for a little while. And now it's getting easier again. Um, so it was easy when I was just working. I, I mean, I was in the code all day, every day with all the programmers. And so I, I, mentoring them was super easy. Um, for a while there, we were at a place where we didn't have this concept of lead programmers. So I was the senior programmer and everything. And even when we did have senior programmers after that, when Keith and Samantha became senior programmers for a bit, there was, I, my my workload was still very overwhelming. And so we didn't necessarily have like enough structure because for quite a while there, we didn't want to introduce a lot of management um, kind of structures. We were trying to keep it as flat as we could. And recently, we now switched to a moment where we have five uh, lead programmers, each of whom are very, very, very capable. Um, in another company, they'd be called senior programmers. Um, 
And they are interested in mentoring and they're great at interacting with clients and stuff like that. But we also have Keith Damiani, who's now a principal programmer, who's taken a lot of the responsibility I used to have of being on individual projects, pairing with through difficult challenges, doing code reviews and stuff like that. Um, and so that has opened up a little bit more space for me to have you know, the, the brain space for these things to actually be doing some mentoring, but also for there to be people in semi-leaderly positions at the company other than me who can be doing mentoring as well. So yeah, it, it was hard for a while when we were smaller. It was easy when we were smallest and is getting easier again now. In an ideal world, would you always be, would you always have the ability to constantly be sort of bringing apprentices in? Or is this something where you are sort of happy to, let's bring, you know, some number in, Let's have them get through the process of getting up to speed, have them sort of become a, a, you know, a mid-level dev or regular dev or whatever term you'd like to use, and then think about it again. Um, I would say it's hard to have more than one or two apprentices at a time. So there is a pace issue. Yeah. One of the other problems is that we, we can only grow so fast and we have a very low attrition rate. So if we were to hire apprentices too quickly, uh, we would end up basically <laughs> filling our list of people working for us faster than we could support. Right. Um, but like, let's just take the practical concerns out of the way. Ideologically, I would love to always be onboarding new apprentices. There's so many amazing people out there who aren't quite at the level we need technically, but we'd love to work with. But also, it's amazing to have the opportunity to be a part of making spaces for folks in the industry to grow. And I mean, it's like this, you know, the old joke that people says, you know, like uh, hiring for entry level, you know, node programmer you know, needs 10 years of Node experience. The first joke being, you know, maybe Node hasn't been available 10 years. I actually don't know how long it's been around. But the second one being like, it's entry level. Like, How can you get an entry level job if all the entry level jobs require you to have experience? So, you know, for us, a lot of our values are able to be kind of walked out by doing this apprentice thing. And so while we certainly need to have people come into the company who weren't trained at the company, otherwise we could kind of get stuck in a little bit of like shared thinking. You know, if, if everybody learned at the same space, then everyone's going to think the same thing in some ways. So it's good to bring people out with outside perspectives. But I love I love having apprentices and I hope we're never to a point where we can't keep doing it. So uh, we'll, I'll put the apprentice thing on the side. So. Uh, you had talked before about the uh, sort of, especially for this most recent round, you know, having uh, having a need to replace a dev who had left and you needed a dev who, you know, when we started, you know, when they start working at the company that they'd be ready to go on day one. So let's say I'm a dev who's just started at Titan. Are there certain things that you, ex- um, without even getting too technical, but just like conceptually, like what what are we expecting out of a dev on day one versus three months later versus a year later? Hmm. Or is that too I mean- broad and it doesn't really depend on the person? Let, let, well, let's let's think about it for a second. I mean, in, in general, there's like a general set of things we expect everybody to be able to do. And so for each person, you know, we're going to give a little bit more grace at the beginning for whatever their particular shortcomings are sure, and, and expect those to be grown in over time. And so let's say the one thing that you struggle with the most on day one is splitting up your own things into tasks. And it's something that's just particularly difficult for you. Well, on day one, we're going to have folks who are going to be working there with you and helping you kind of take the big tasks and put them into medium tasks and some of the small tasks and then check in with you every week. But that's not something we can be doing ongoing, right? So we'll identify that as something we're going to grow on. We'll talk together in one-on-ones about it. I'll also probably talk together with Keith and whoever the lead is that's working with you to make sure that there's other folks who are looking for opportunities for you to grow in that. Um, you know, and, and we'll check in on that on one-on-ones every three weeks. And we'll also check in that on six-month reviews with Dan and me. And so we do identify those things that we need. I don't know if I have a canonical list because it's really just like in what ways 
you know, what do we expect from a Titan developer? Right. Um, I would say that there's a level of being able to do the job. I mean, that's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the biggest thing. And there's a lot of factors involved in that. It's interacting with clients. It's, you know, hearing the specific needs of clients and translating them into the appropriate solutions. Um, it's communicating well, um, splitting tasks, handling, you know, timing on things and showing up to meetings and remembering to not get stuck on one thing for too long. So it's lots of, lots of management aspects. There's all sorts of coding things that have to do with understanding how to either solve the problems or how to figure out how to solve the problems. Uh, you know, there's personality things about um, how well do you surface it when you're stuck? Um, how well do you surface it when you don't know something? Um, how do you handle conflicts? There's all, you know, it's just all the things we care about. Um, we, we don't expect everybody to have everything on day one. And so we try to be as aware as possible um, coming into it, what are the things that people have the need for growth? But sometimes you don't know until the problem presents itself. And then again, you know, it's fine on day one and it needs to get better. Okay. Um, so I'm sort of wrapping up towards the end of this here. Uh, I think I've got all my questions answered, but I, I want to ask you one last thing. This is something I've shamelessly taken from another podcast, but I'm totally okay because I'll give them credit. Um, it's uh, a fantastic uh, podcast called The Weeds where um, I want to ask you, what's something I should have asked you about hiring? It's a little meta, but is there is there something, you know, we asked, we talked quite a bit about the process and what you look for. What, what should I have been asking you about? Well, it's top of mind because somebody asked me this recently, so I don't know if this is what you should have asked, but one or two people have asked me within the last week, um, you know, hey, we're trying to hire a Laravel developer. Why are we having trouble doing it? And so one thing you could have asked, and I'm asking myself now, is what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to hire Laravel developers? And I would say, I, I can't say with absolute accuracy what the answer to that question is. However, I think one of the things that we have going on at Titan is that we have created a space that is a joy for our employees to work at. And we work really hard at that. And like I said, from the foundation of the company, we said we want to create a company that we want to work for. And so when we you know, we have these values and that's one of our big values. And so when we ask questions about how to handle certain things, like what clients we do or don't take, what demands they can make on our time, how much we, you know, how we're going to interact with them when something goes a little bit wrong or um, how we pick healthcare plans or whatever else. Um, the question we're asking ourselves is every time it's just what would I want if I were in that situation? And then of course, it's not purely just about everyone's wants. We also think about, you know, keeping the company afloat and anything, but that's kind of like one of our primary motivating factors. And what I think we've been able to do through that is to create an in really enjoyable space to work at. Um, and we talk about it a lot and, and other people talk about it because, you know, folks who are enjoying it, we'll, we'll speak about it to other people. And so the fact that, you know, we call it the great Titan experiment. We even wrote a blog post about that, but the fact that we've been able to so far create a sustainable company, um, doing things that are really focused on, um, basically the employees. And then of course the, the, our customers, um, really, you know, feeling like they're taken care of and they're thought of and, and their needs matter and, um, are considered, um, really I think helps us be a place where someone looks at and say, you know, like I, I want to work there, even if, you know, and people tell us even if, so even, e e or even though, I guess, even though you guys, blah, 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 I want to work there because you have such great culture. Um, and so I think that that is the thing that has given us the greatest amount of opportunity um, for hiring being easy is because we've created a place that we all want to work at and therefore other folks see it and say, oh, I want to work there too. That sounds great. Actually, thank you. Um, Matt, where can folks find you on Twitter or online? Where, where can they, where can they, uh, where can they find all your hot takes and all your thoughts of the day? 
Yeah, I am. MattStauffer.com is the easiest. And you can find links to all my socials there. But I mean, it's Twitter.com slash Stauffer Matt, YouTube.com slash Matt Stauffer. And I think those are my main ones. I, I have podcasts that are potentially being revitalized, 5-Minute Geek Show and Laravel Podcast. Um, but right now, Twitter and then my blog are probably the two best. And I mean, I'm live, stri- live streaming all the time. I was just going to say, you're live streaming. Yeah. So you can watch the video replays of the live streams on YouTube at youtube.com slash Matt Stauffer, or you can watch the live streams live. If you go to mattstauffer.com slash stream, you can see links to the um, the Twitch and the YouTube live links there as well. And I do that right now um, at the time of this recording. It's Friday's 11 a.m. Eastern. But if you check out mattstauffer.com slash stream, you can get more details about that. And of course, you can uh, you can find out more about Titan by going to titan.co. You can follow us on Twitter at, at titanco. And we would love to hear feedback, what you think about this, about this episode of the show. You can go to at 20% FM with 20 spelled out on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. So Matt, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. It was a ton of fun, man.